I guess. The people that really matter are here. Yeah. All right. We're going to talk about missional community, which is community with a mission. Um, yeah, and we'll be looking at John 1. But first, I'm going to start with a story. This is Victory Square in the city of Minsk in Belarus. Um, when I was in my, I don't know, early 20s, I did a missions trip with someone. Can't remember the name. Anyway, I did a short-term mission trip for a month. We went to the city of Minsk for three weeks and um, did things like street evangelism, you know, skits, songs, uh, that kind of thing. And we also did, we did some practical things. We helped build a house. We, and we worked with the local churches. And it was a good experience. It was a very stretching experience um, in ways that I expect and ways I didn't expect it. I, I was pretty much ready for the idea of being in a culture that was different, not being able to speak the language, not... You know, and, and living in a difficult kind of environment, different living conditions. I expected all that, and, and we had all that, and that was challenging enough. But what I didn't really expect so much was how difficult it was to be in a group together with other people doing that. And there was, the organization I was with was international, so there was, our group was made up with people all over the world and different church backgrounds and and really I there was a a fair bit of tension within the group just because of that and um now I know that I've read more and learned more about missions that this is pretty common and really one of the often one of the biggest problems in missions is within your own group just getting along with thanks with people that you're with, especially when you're in a difficult environment. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about community today, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons it's important and some of the reasons that it's so difficult. Uh, yeah, so we've been working through evangelism and discipleship. And kind of the same way last week talked about how how they're really connected and really part of the same and part of being a Christian is to disciple others as well and be discipled and as well to reach out to people around us. So to review, a disciple is one who believes Jesus is Lord. A disciple is one who's joined in a church community and is known and accountable and someone who's engaged in Christ's mission to the world. So all three are important. Um, the idea of looking up, focusing on God, uh, looking in, kind of focusing on each other, personal growth, and as well looking out into the community. So in the Bible, we see examples of this. The most obvious is Jesus and the apostles. I don't think I really need to review that. You know, the, Jesus chose to make himself known through a small community, in a small community, and he found that that was the best way of um, bringing about, making, him, making his mission known. This is also what Gordy talked about, the idea of um, instead of having huge meetings, you disciple just a few people, and then they disciple a few people, and you get geometric growth, and before you know it, everyone's a Christian. Yeah. The early church community was, there was a very tight church community. Um, Acts 2. I'm going to read this to you. 
They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So I don't know if you've thought about that. That's some pretty crazy community they got going on. Like they're, it's a common, um, like common economic, you know, they didn't, they shared everything. They shared their money, which some marriages, people don't even do that these days. But, um, but because of the unity that they had and, and how much God moved in their midst, it was a sign to the world of who God is. So that's pretty amazing. Um, they definitely had some conflict, and if you read through Acts, you can, you'll read about some of the issues that did come up. The other thing, you know, I, we, um, I had this prophet regent, and he spent a lot of time, I don't know where, it was like, it was some, it was like Mexico City, some place where there was very, poor living conditions where people lived really, really close together. And he grew up in North America, and then they, him and his wife did years of missions, like five years, living in community there. And when he came back, one of the things he said is, it's almost impossible for us, growing up in our society with its focus on individualism, to live in that kind of environment, because it's just so different. And it, we're so we're just not equipped for it. And Wade spoke a little about this, just the culture that we we live in and how it affects us. And we'll be looking at that later, too. I feel like I need to come up with a joke, but I can't. The skunk, a skunk joke would be appropriate, yeah. The text we're looking at today is John 1, and I'm going to read it, starting at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. So we'll just go through this passage, and I'll highlight a few things that struck me. Um, The Lamb of God. An interesting expression that really doesn't show up much in the Bible. I think there's only two or three different occurrences. And was it mean? I don't know. And no one really... It's not very clear what John meant when he said this. Um, he, if you back up a little, a few verses, uh, John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So there might be kind of this idea of um, the sacrificial lamb and, and, and John speaking of Jesus in that way, but it's not that clear. Later on, he says, I've seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So John the Baptist has identified Jesus as the coming Messiah. And John's disciples would have, uh, would know this, would, would have heard of this. So when John sees Jesus the next day and identifies him, they are intrigued. The two disciples, Andrew and probably John, who wrote the book of John, were these two disciples, were intrigued by Jesus, so they decided to follow him. And um, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? Which is a great question. This is a question you should probably spend some time on, because I think it really gets to the heart of a lot of things, like why we're here on a Sunday. What do we want? 
Um, another quote from Wade, Christian obedience is revolutionary and requires thoughtful sacrifice, which is a really uncomfortable statement. It's not... Christian life is not about comfort so much as obedience. It's about... If you're living a life that is countercultural, which is what we're called to do, it's going to be hard and it's going to be uncomfortable. So the question is, is that really what we want? Is that really... Do we want to follow God that badly that it's going to be uncomfortable? Um, I've got to be honest, I've really hated this series on evangelism. And I've hated it because it's made me uncomfortable. Um... I'm in a season in my life where it's been very difficult just to survive. I find most of my energy is going just to survival. And to come to church and hear someone challenge me is very uncomfortable. I don't like it. I don't want it. I want to leave church feeling better. But <laughs> but it's deep down inside, I know it's right because I want to, I mean, I really do want to follow God, and I do want to grow, and I know to grow, I need to be uncomfortable, and I need to do things. So it's been good, but I haven't liked it. Kind of like preaching, this is good, but it's been really uncomfortable preparing. Just be easier not to. (laughs) It reminds me of this passage in Matthew 8. A teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go, which is a a nice statement of faith. And then Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And I kind of get the sense that Jesus is saying, really? Like, do you really want to follow me? Do you know what it means to follow me? Are you willing to sacrifice your life, your, your ambitions, your dreams, your comforts to follow me? Moving on, they call him rabbi. So they have recognized already that he has some sort of leadership ability, that he has some wisdom, and they've, they want to learn of it. They want to know more about it. So this is their response to Jesus saying, what do you want? Their response is, where are you staying? Which seems like a really odd response. That wouldn't be what would come to my mind. Um, one of the commentaries I read on this, the, the guy said, they just didn't know what to say, so that's what they said. <laughs> Which I don't think is true. Um, I think that in that culture, in that time, rabbis in general shared wisdom through uh, discipleship, through communities, through you hung out together. That was kind of how they taught. And it, it was, I think that's what's behind all this, is what they're saying is, you know, we want to learn more of you. We want to be with you. Um, where are you staying? Can we join you? Can we hang out with you? Can we share our lives with you? And he says, come and you will see which is an awesome answer. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, you know, can I see your credentials? He doesn't question how badly they want it. He doesn't question their background. He doesn't say, well, how much scripture do you know? He just says, come, and you will see. And um, this reminds me of our church in many ways. This is one of the things I love about this church is I think we're really good at this. Just someone can come in and just join us, and we'll be like, yeah, you can join us. Come, see, see, join with us following God, see where we go together. I think it's really cool. It's a cool thing about God. It's a really crazy thing, because if I was doing it, I wouldn't do things this way. I would want to uh, have some tests, make sure I get the right people. I don't want to use just anyone. And then this last bit was, so they went with him, they stayed with him for the rest of the day. 
Dieb. So Jesus invites them to join him. Um, obviously, it's part of, it's going to be a, a tight-knit missional community, if you know about the New Testament at all. You know that Jesus and the apostles, they did everything together. And um, they were on a mission. They were, they had a purpose. They were there to tell Israel about God and turn people back to God. And Jesus invites us to join him as well. And it's part of discipleship because being in relationship with one someone that close and in a group inevitably leads to growth. Just being with other people. So looking at community, the whole idea of community, this is a bit of a review. Gordy talked about this as well. But God, in his very essence, is a community which is something that's pretty crazy and doesn't make a lot of sense, that though he's one God, he is three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in his very essence, he is a relational community, and we are made in his image, and likewise we are intended to be relational, intended to be in community. That's how we're made. That's how we're most, that's how we live best. That's how we're most human. Um... Genesis 1.18, God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. God made man and woman to complement each other, to be in relationship, to, to, to reflect um, the Godhead just in their relationship and in the family. There is a picture of me at work. <laughs> Uh, I'm a carpenter, and um, I didn't have a picture of me, so that'll do. I've been working a lot alone lately, um, just because of the way our company is working. I'm just finishing up all these little jobs, and I uh, so I'm in people's homes, and I'm usually alone because they're not at home, and I'm an introvert, and I really... I need alone time. I can't handle being with people all the time. It drains me. But, you know, being alone all the time drives even me nuts. Like, I get so lonely at work, and so the day passes so slowly, so I have to have some sort of noise, like the radio or music. or And I'm reading a lot of books during my breaks, just because I need it. Even though I'm an introvert, I still need community, just like the rest of us. Here's a quote from John Paul II, just for a different perspective on community. The church as a family cannot reach all her possibilities as church unless she is divided in communities small enough to foster close human relationships. The characteristics of such communities are places engaged in evangelizing themselves so subsequently they can bring the good news to the others. So, this idea of when you're in community, um, it's a place of you learning and also a place of reaching out to others. Communities which pray and listen to God's word, obviously God-focused communities like we've talked about, they must encourage the members themselves to take on the responsibility and to learn to live as church. Which is interesting coming from the Catholic Church because kind of what you think of or what I think often of the Catholic Church is kind of this hierarchical thing where the priests do kind of everything and most of the people just kind of sit there and, and watch what's going on. That's kind of my stereotypical Catholic Church. But he's saying, you know, we want everyone involved. We want everyone to do which, which is a really vineyard way of talking, really because that's kind of what we're about, is everyone participates. They reflect on different human problems in the light of the gospel. Which I, this is, this resonates with me. This is who I am. Um, when I was at Regent, um, I hated the courses that weren't applied, like the ones where you're just learning about theology or you're learning something about God and there's no real application involved. I hated those. 
and I know they're important, and I know that there's people that love that kind of stuff, um, which is good. But I really, I'm far more, I care far more about how it works. Like, what does it mean day to day? How do we live? Those are the kinds of things. How do we live in light of the gospel that I'm more passionate about? And these communities are to be committed to living Christ's love for everybody, a love which transcends the limits of the natural solidarity of clans, tribes, or other interest groups. So love, God's love, is really what's over all of this. And, and I think really what enables us to live in community is, is love, because love is so powerful and it can overcome, overcome so many obstacles. And I don't know, I mean, those of you who are married, um, really I think it comes down to love because there's things about people that your spouse, that you may not particularly like, that irritate you, but love enables you, <laughs> I know, I know <laughs> some of you are shaking. This isn't true in my marriage, you know, but... <laughs> But I've heard stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> In spite of it all. Really, love enables us to, to work through things and motivates us to go beyond. And, and this is even bigger. I mean, Christ's love is, goes, is bigger than different cultures. It's bigger than people with different interests. It's bigger than... All the things that divide us, Christ's love is bigger than that. Which is, I mean, basically what he's saying is, to be the church, we need to be a missional community. Which is what I've been saying. <laughs> of course, we don't do it very well, and there's reasons. So I'm going to look at them for a bit here. We talked about our culture. Um try to stick, take a step out of our culture and kind of critique it, which is hard to do. But I think he's right that our culture very much focuses on independence and individuality and avoidance of pain. And that makes it really hard to do community because all of those are kind of the opposite. Interdependence is a very important part of community. You can't be independent and be in community. If you're focused all on yourself, this is another way. If you want to destroy your marriage really fast, focus on yourself. Try to make the other person change. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> About all you can do is think, how can I make this better? You can't change the other person. If you're trying to avoid pain, community's not going to work either. This is... Um, one of my weaknesses, because I'm really big on conflict avoidance, and um, you know you can't have a relationship if you do that. There are certain times when you have to talk about things that are uncomfortable, when there has to be things that you know, conversations that could go really bad, but you have to have them. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Timing might be important in that when you have those. But anyways, that's... I don't know how many of you have been reading the, the blog Gory's been doing on Cascadia, which he hasn't been doing lately, but on the book Cascadia by Douglas Todd, he talks in the book about restless mobility. So Cascadia being the area we live in, kind of the Pacific Northwest um, and there's a common commonality in the area that people move around a lot. I don't know if you've noticed, but since we've come here, people do not stay in one place very long. And he's saying that it's kind of it's due to a resource-based economy where you have to follow the work, which I think there's some truth to. But the the big downside is is it's really hard to have close relationships with someone because you don't know how long they're going to be here. And there's a lot of emotional investment that you don't necessarily want to make because of that. So um, it's a definite challenge in our area. 
And this was an awesome paper I read. Um, I don't even know how I got it, but it was in my hands. Roots of Addiction in Free Market Society by Bruce Alexander. Um, free market society, like the ones we live in here, it's regulated by the laws of supply and demand. And so the idea is that by the market kind of doing what it wants and not us intervening, it will ultimately lead to the most good for all people. Um, the downside is that people have to go where the demand is. And there is no, there's very little value placed on community in such a society. So all those intimate ties, like you used to grow up in a town and live there or in a village and you'd live there and that for generations. And there's just that, that rootedness, that continuity, those intimate relationships that have had years or even generations to form just don't exist. I mean, my parents came here from Germany. I have no relatives in Canada other than my immediate family. And um, I grew up with people who had tons, and they hated it because they couldn't get away with anything. Because there would always be someone in town who, who would see them and report back to their parents. But I thought, wow, what? I mean, what richness just to be, you know someone will help you no matter where you're going in this area, because everyone knows you. Anyway, this, this paper talks about this dislocation from family, and because that leaves us with an emptiness, we tend to develop addictive behaviors to try to fill the emptiness. And um, it's interesting, parts of the world that are adopting free market society, addiction rates go up as well. So, um, and this isn't just like uh, the addictions we think of, like drugs and alcohol. This is, my gosh, there's so many different uh, addictive behaviors, things like television or video games or what do I do? Food, pornography. No. Yes. <laughs> to clarify. <laughs> I do overeat, even though I don't gain weight. But I <laughs> exercise. <laughs> I know, it's a burden. <laughs> or work, work addiction, yes. Man, I tell you, my problems at work are so easy compared to my problems at home. Or sometimes I don't sleep enough just so that I'm not as awake the next day, just to kind of dull the day, which is really bad. But it's very acceptable in our society to work too much and to not sleep enough. Everyone does it. But it's not really living. It's an addiction. More challenges. Well, all of, all of us have been hurt by relationships. All of us have dysfunctional families in one way or another. So there's always brokenness due to those, and there's always certain things that are extremely hard for us to deal with because of our, the specific hurts that we've had in the past. Selfishness. Again, love can overcome a lot of this. Love, the patient's patient, caring love. <laughs> Community is work. It's uncomfortable. It takes time, effort, money. Yep. We're always too busy. I'm certainly too busy for relationships a lot of times. It's not a good way to make community. Online community. It's one of my favorite rants, uh, especially since I have a teenage daughter. Um, okay, <laughs> if you have a thousand friends on Facebook, I'm thinking that they're not really friends. You know... Yeah, <laughs> maybe they need an acquaintance button. A friend has been very devalued. A friend is someone who, well, like, they're there for you. They will lay down their life for you almost. I mean, who's going to visit you in the hospital? Who's going to be at your funeral of those thousand friends? Like, a hundred of them? Maybe. Probably not even. 
friend and follower. Yeah, that's interesting. Who are you following on Facebook? Stalking. Oh, sorry. That's, <laughs> that's kind of different, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it's safe. It's a safe way to have relationship because it's way more dangerous to me to sit here and talk with you than for me to chat with you online because there's that distance. I can, I can filter a lot. You don't see me. You, you, there's no, you just are seeing what I've written, which I've thought about probably, and I've probably hidden a fair bit of myself when I'm writing that. So um, it's not to say it's all bad because the Facebook and such are great tools for community and you can enable you to stay in touch with people that you wouldn't be able to and share a life that you wouldn't be able to. But if you're thinking that that's real friendship, it's not really. There's a distance there. All right, love. Matthew 22. This is the, the Shema, which all good... Jewish children memorize. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So again, just really looking at love and, and love, to state it again, is just so powerful. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, I think really what will draw people in the community to us is if they see our love for each other and for them. And hopefully that's what people see at Chili Wagon is they see us with no expectation of anything from them, just sharing our love, sharing God's love, really. First Corinthians 13, which a lot of you know, is Paul's a passage when Paul talks about love. I was going to quote it, but it's been quoted way too much, so I'm not going to. But it talks about the patience and the, the caring of love. And just the idea of trying to see the best in others, which if you're a parent, hopefully that's what you're trying to do with your kids. Or in any relationship, you know, just try to draw out whatever you see in someone that's good about them. It's really easy. We, we took a we had some difficult children. <laughs> Not anymore, because Kaylee's perfect. She'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but one of the things they talked about, the parenting group we went to, was you don't... If you're focusing, it's really easy to focus on the negative because it's mostly what you see. And if you do that, things just get worse. So it's very important to spend some time focusing on good things and trying to speak about good things. And this is true of all relationships. If, if your relationship is always negative, you won't have very many friends because who wants to hear that all the time? So, love. And love is patient. It's not manipulative. But there is also accountability in love, so it's not always rainbows and unicorns and butterflies and happy. It's also a bit of work sometimes. <laughs> Look at that. Isn't that an awesome picture? Do you recognize the couple there? <laughs> That's a few years ago. Can you see it? Yeah. So that's our wedding. And you'll notice that there's two kids in the front. Oh. So Rose was previously married when I met her, and she had two children. So, um, so it's Seth and Bree, who most of you have met somewhere along the way. They're not, they're older now, so they're not at home. But, um, if you know them, you know that they call me dad. And the process of getting to there was a long one. And it was not the easiest thing to do would be 
to for me when we first got married to kind of demand respect from them because I'm their new father. I could, and I mean, I can, you're a parent, you can manipulate things to your advantage pretty easily. You know, you can give treats or withhold, you know, you know, you know how to do it. It's, if you haven't done it, it's happened to you. But I intentionally didn't do that. I, I very much felt that the way to, to draw them into my life was just to love them. And I intentionally just did, just did that, just tried to share their lives, tried to be there with them in the good and the bad. And, I mean, it took time, probably over the course of several years, before they really became um, to respect me. And we had a close enough relationship that now I could begin to speak in their lives without conflict so much. And, and I was hurt, you know? So that's just my, my, my plug on saying love works, but man, it takes time. You can't, it takes a long time to build a close relationship, and you can't push it. If you start to push it, then it, there's a distance. You're creating a distance. Community's good. As I was writing this, I thought, you know, man, I've said so much negative, like so many problems, so many difficulties, and there are a lot of difficulties, but... It's a it's a good thing we're meant to be together that there really is something about us that's empty when we're not with others and we need to be with others to do that and it's even though it's difficult as particularly in our society I think it's something we're we're called to and it's some really discipleship and growth happens best in a tight community that's why places like YWAM a YWAM DTS, they have a tight group that works together for the entire time. Just reiterating everything I already said, we're accountable for our actions. We're horribly bad at seeing our own mistakes, usually our own sins. So it's good to have someone who can lovingly point them out for you and kind of plot a way forwards from them with you and keep you accountable to things like that. You belong to something. You're not just... Which comes back to, you know... Hmm, just a sec. Why are we here? Or what do you want? Which I'm going to get to. Our church is awesome, as I mentioned, about having people come in. We're not as good at doing community, and that's partially our culture. That's... We're trying to think of, as leadership, we're trying to think of ways that we can make it more community-building, community-fostering. Um, we're looking at different ways of possibly changing the service format to do that. Or, But, you know, it's an uphill battle because it's countercultural and hard to do. I think Gordy's going to talk about... Gordy was in Calgary, and he he was in a group that was doing church differently, and he... I think next week he'll talk about that. So you'll hear more about that. But, you know, again, it is what do you want. Part of the danger with, like, say we don't meet on a Sunday and we just meet in people's homes. Well, you know, some people aren't going to come to that. Well, because it is intimate. It is more difficult. It's There is something nice about being anonymous. So what do you really want? Do you want that kind of community that will be good for you and good for everyone, but might be a little harder. You really have to uh, look in your heart. But community doesn't even have to be that big. It's just look around the room and how can we be closer to someone? How can we help? How can we see, have you seen something good in someone and you want to call it out and bless it? Um, Or does someone seem to not be doing so well? And uh, maybe you need to talk to them and, and pray with them and make them feel loved. So those are the questions I want to leave you with. Yep. Um, and for me, I really think it, I really do think what do you want is a big one. And really, why, why do we come here on a Sunday? And is this, 
is what we do here fulfilling that need? Is it adequate? Is there more that we want? And how how do we go about getting that more? And I mean, there is there is communities within our church. There's there's what there's three kind of home groups that are going on, and for sure there's other people are friends and they keep in touch, and there's all that going on. But um, we just want to really promote that. It's a really important part of living the Christian life, and yeah, just encourage you all to to do things like that more. Hi, Rose. Um, when we uh, decided to be a family, um, we clearly, through our engagement process, we clearly asked what kind of family do we want to be, what is our vision, and Dean has an incredible father's heart, and so when we, I'm going to cry, because when we got married, he put rings on my children's finger, and he vowed to be their father fully, and he was their father um, through some of the worst of times. And, uh, I mean, our son had serious mental health issues and he was suicidal sometimes. And, you know, we had to call the police on him and, you know, the worst of parenting and he was fully their father. And we had decided to never be a step family. We were a family. And so, um, Brie, now that she's an adult, she'll call up and she'll go, daddy. (laughs) And, you know, She's had to do her taxes, and, and so she'll phone him up, and Daddy, and she said, Daddy, being an adult is hard work, you know? <laughs> and, you know, but she has so much respect for him. And then we had the mirror of my children's biological father who demanded respect. He demanded that relationship, and he never got it. And they have a very nominal relationship with their biological father. And we worked very hard to maintain that relationship because we knew how hard, how important it was. And so I'm just really sensing in the spirit that um, people have a wrong vision, a wrong knowing in their being of what it is for the father. Because there's fathers who demanded that respect. And so you're far, there's such woundings, there's far, far places in your heart that you can't really give to him. And you can't say daddy because that demand was there. And uh, for whatever reason, there was that division and and there was that step, that step away from God. Um, You didn't really feel like you were connected and belonged. And in our family, we always made sure there was the connected and the belonged. And I feel like there's people who don't have that, who for whatever something happened in their life, there was that demand. But the father says, no. And he's putting a ring, he's put a ring on your finger, and he's vowed to be fully your father. He has said, you are mine, you are my beloved, you are one with my heartbeat. That's how much he loves you. Dean made that choice to love my children and fully be their father, but it wasn't even a choice for God. It is. It is. Merely because you are. He loves you that much. He is your daddy. He's put a ring on your finger to be fully your daddy. And the inheritance is fully yours. And Dean worked very hard to earn the privilege of walking Bree down the aisle someday. And Bree knows it's her daddy who will do that, not her biological father who will do that. Because Dean adores her as his own child. Your father in heaven adores you even more than that. He adores you no matter what you've done, no matter what. Our kids did some terrible things sometimes, and we love them. We love them so much unconditionally because they're ours. So I really would like to pray for you to receive that ring. It's there. You just, your eyes need to be opened that he loves you that much. So, Father, I do pray for every person here, for every person who would hear this sermon online, that they would know that ring has been on their finger all this time, and their eyes would be opened to know, to see it, and they would feel it, Lord. They would feel that ring of love 
It is a continuous circle that love does not end, that their hearts would be filled to know that you are Lord, you are daddy, daddy to them. And whatever happened in their life with their own parents, I pray bring, you would bring deep, deep healing where there is wounding, Lord. Because all of our parents made mistakes, and I as a parent today make mistakes. But you are a good God who covers all of those things. And you bring whole rest, just whole restitution. You bring whole restoration to that. So I pray for each person here to receive the wholeness of your healing and of your relationship so they can say, Daddy, and they will hear you say, I love you. In Jesus' name I pray. One of the things that I think God is doing, uh, I just present this to you, is, is eliminating the false understanding of what it means to be um, sacrificial. When you hear the word sacrifice, do you have a negative or a positive thought? If someone invites you to, to sacrifice, make a sacrifice. But, you know, like I think what Dean's been sharing is that he's been sharing with you out of his character. So it's been very, very powerful. It's not just a cerebral discussion on do's and don'ts to do with community, but it's what he's experienced, and he's been sharing with you, even though it's been difficult and sacrificial, but this is exactly why he is so respected and loved by his own family. So, you know, when we hear the word sacrifice, we think, oh, is it comfortable? Was it comfortable for you guys to get here today? Was it comfortable for me to get here today? I come and early and set up kids' church and, and bring whatever I bring, you know. Is it comfortable for Kenny to get here with a cold? And, no, but does that mean that he's a loser for it? No, because it's kind of like, you know, we, we often forget about that we're building a life forever. It's not just here, you know, 60. If I only have 10 more years left, boy, boy, you know. I mean, things could change radically in the next 20 years when you, you take a good look now because, you know, maybe 20 years from now you start, like, getting, you know, pretty wrinkly. And, but, you know, we don't think about that. We're thinking about eternity. What we are doing here is building a character not only for ourselves, for our family, for our friends, for our community, forever. It's forever. This is a forever thing we're talking about, Right? Not just 10 years, 20 years. People can come and go. But we're still, like, I'm still going to see my mom and dad in heaven, right? In, in eternity. Whether heaven is the kingdom come back here on earth as it is in heaven. It's not like... So uh, the other thing that came to me so clearly, I, you've heard, maybe you haven't, but you know that illustration of if you crack the egg, if it's fertilized too soon to try to help the poor little baby chick out? What happens? To, you guys know that story, right? You don't know that story? You know, the baby chick's going to go, like, flop over and die, right? Oh, I'll help the poor little baby chick. And I'll help him out, crack. And then he, you know, falls over and die because he doesn't have the muscles, he doesn't have the strength to actually live in this environment. So he's got to peck his way out. So in a way, but this like our community, we're we're starting to wrestle and peck our way here and peck our way out. The word that Gordy and I are getting to do with all what's going on here is we're being refined, refined. We're being refined. The Lord is definitely on the move. He's definitely changing us, transforming us. The vision of a hundred communities with a hundred people, or smaller communities. Some of you people here will be stepping up big time. You guys will be having your own house church probably in a matter of six months, eight months, seven months. God is calling people to step up and start to pastor. It's not about Gordy standing here and being the pastor. This is happening all over the world where people are starting to step up, grab a hold of that which God has grabbed a hold of them, and start to, you know, moving into this, not pseudo-friendship, but real friendship. 
So the other thing I would like to say, I'd rather have one good friend. And, of course, Dean says, not me. (laughs) One good friend than a hundred fake ones. Or even 150 or 200, right? So that's what we're all about. We're all about going deeper, going wide, maybe not so much going wider, but going deeper. So, Father, I just wanted to thank you for each person here that's gone through challenges. I thank you for the challenges. I thank you that's precisely when we go through challenges as people that we have a genuine relationship, genuine friendship, especially, Lord, when we sacrifice. Sacrifice is sweet because we go through stuff together and we become genuine, authentic, deeply caring, uh, not fake people. So I thank you for people like Fran, who's just got her milestone of a regent uh, masters while she went through the difficulty of even being able to walk. I thank you, Lord, for people that are right in this room, just taking a hold of things, not backing down, asking for help when necessary, going forward in genuine relationship. Lord, we ask you now to teach us, to teach us, to teach us, Lord, in the next season, how to be genuine, how to be authentic, how to open our homes up, how to not be uh, distant, how not to hide when we're going through difficulties. I just pray for all these things for for myself. I pray for these things for Gordy. I pray for each person here, Lord, that we would be enriched uh, people, an enriched community, salt and light in Jesus' name. So I'm just going to let maybe, Dean, you want to release people to pray together? or I can. So it's